you are listening to the Conversations for Change podcast with Dolphin Casper. So when, yeah, when the, it was, I mean, I'm always looking to take advantage of the opportunity and, and when something is hard, when your, maybe your internal sense is, man, anything but this, for me, that's just a signal to show up and, and right. be with it. Um, especially because of the work I do is all about inviting people into their discomfort so they can transform it and grow. If I don't do that when my life gets difficult, what am I doing? Right. So I'm, I'm definitely a, uh, not one of those do as I say, not as I do people. So yeah, Guatemala was beautiful and, and very uncomfortable for, for a chunk of time, but you got through it. I got through it. And you're alive. I'm alive and it's <laughs> and it's beautiful. <clears throat> so Kelly, thank you for having me over and uh, I'm excited to sit down and talk with you today. Um, I, I don't even remember when we met. It must have been five or six years ago probably we met for the first time. And yeah, we met like... at that um, event that Deanne Rindo yeah. had. Yeah, that's, that's right. And yeah. that was the first time we actually got to meet in person. I had seen you on Facebook, mm. but it was the first time we actually, we actually got to hug. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is important. You get to know someone that way. Exactly. Yeah, and um, yeah, we've sort of like been in touch online and kind of seen each other, what, what each other is doing. And uh, I was just really excited to sit down with you to, to hear a little bit more about your story and the work that you're doing. Um, I know I saw it's Goldcast, right? You had a Goldcast video? Goldcast, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that one really landed for people. So I think I just looked at it today. It was nine and a half million nine views or something like that. Nine and a half million like people. Yeah. So, so maybe we could start there and we'll branch out. But, you know, what was it like to, to create that video? And then what was it like to see the response that people had for it? Well, you know, I love it when video people actually take content and create a story out of it because a lot of times... I don't really know what my story is. Like, I kind of know the basics of what I went through, but I don't always know how it impacts people. Mm. So basically what they said to me was give me or give them a speech that I had done, which was the speech we did for my documentary in front of 3,000 teenagers. And then they asked for some photos and then they created the story. And it was so cool because the story they created was about looking in the mirror and hating what I saw and believing that I would never ever get married or that I would never ever get to wear that beautiful white dress that every woman wants to wear. Mm. And so when I graduated from high school, I, you know, I asked Paul to be my grad date because I knew that no other guy was gonna ask me to be their date. And he said, yes. And I was so excited because I thought, oh my God, that means I'm gonna get to wear the white dress. Mm. And so I asked my grandma, to, like she said she'd make me a dress and um, she said what color do you want and I said white and we lived on a farm so on a farm you don't wear white so my grandma's like white like I can make you any color why do you want a white dress mm. and what my family didn't know was that the reason I wanted to wear white dress is because I thought that would be the only time in my life I would ever get to wear something that looked like a, a wedding dress mm. And, uh, and even the pattern that my grandma made was a wedding dress pattern, right? But I was so excited because I thought, this is going to be my only opportunity to wear this white dress. Yeah. And so um, I never thought I'd get married or have kids. And yet I did. I did end up getting married. I did end up having kids. And then I did go through a divorce. And um, so I realized that although as a teenager, I didn't think I was beautiful, 
as an adult, I realized where true beauty comes from. And then I was able to look in the mirror and not say yuck. Because that's what I would do. I would purposely look in the mirror and say, yuck, who's going to love that? Like, I'm covered in scars. You know, like 75% of my body is just covered in scars. And so I thought, no man is ever going to want me. I'm never going to be loved. I'm never going to have a kiss. I'm never going to be able to, you know, feel what that feels like. Mm. So it was just so beautiful when they created that video. The first time I saw it, I was like in tears. And so when they launched it, in six hours we had one million views six hours and my daughter she's texting me mom look at this and we're watching the numbers go up and all these people are commenting and then this we saw this one person say oh we should get her for our women's event she would be awesome and then someone else said well we don't think we can afford her and my daughter's commenting she goes hey i'm kelly's mom <laughs> maybe you can get her to speak at your women's event <laughs> and so my daughter's you know, texting me, mom, they want you to speak, you know? And so it was so cool to see all the reaction mm. and see how positive they were and how many people were saying, I can now look at my, myself in the mirror and see my beauty. Mm-hmm. And that was so important to me is to re- help people to realize that the mirror doesn't talk to you. You know, a lot of time when we look in the mirror, we're hearing this little voice in our head and that voice is saying, you're ugly, you're stupid, you're a loser you're not um, successful, right? Like those are the voices that I would hear. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that it wasn't the mirror that's saying this, it's my thoughts. But we learn at such a young age, like we learn at sometimes three, four years old that the mirror talked to us just by watching Snow White. Mm-hmm. You know, we watch Snow White, the movie, and we see the evil queen talking to the mirror and the mirror talks back. So we learn at three, four years old that the mirror talked to us. And so it makes total sense that we think the voice we're hearing is the mirror telling us all these things. And that we think it's true. And we think it's true. Yeah. So, I mean, what that makes me think of is because what's incredible is that no matter what we happen to look like, I think everyone in Western culture looks at themselves and, and thinks there's something wrong with them. Absolutely. And, 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 and has all sorts of nasty things to say. My mom had this hilarious thing she would always say. She said in our workshops, she would say, if we had a friend that talked to us the way we talked to ourselves, we'd stand up and walk away and we'd never come back to that relationship. Absolutely. And yet we do it. So I think a question I have is how does someone who, who has uh, some of that negative self-talk, wherever it came from, it's not even that important, but, but that it's there, how do you transition from someone who has all sorts of nasty things to say to ourselves to someone who, who actually has positive things to say to ourselves? What was that like for you? And, and maybe what advice could you give? Well, I still remember going to a garage sale. And this is when I was married. And so I went into the garage sale and this woman says to me, they couldn't do better than that. I was like, oh, oh, like if only she knew Right? And what she meant was, why couldn't they do some surgery on you and make you beautiful and take your scars away? And I thought, she doesn't even know me. Right? Like, she doesn't know I got burnt as a two-year-old to 75% of my body. She has no clue that I was in the hospital for four months when I was two 
every two days I was in the operating room. Every two years until I was 20, I spent a whole month of my summer holidays in the hospital. She doesn't know how many plastic surgeries I've had, you know, and she doesn't know that I went for laser surgery for four years to try and get rid of some of my scarring and, and improve, you know, my mobility. Like she had no clue. Mm. And so I looked at her and I said, you know what? I happen to think I look pretty damn good. And I walked away. And I was hurt. I was really upset. Like my former husband said to me, he said, Cal, she didn't mean it that way. And I said, she meant it how she said it. And I get it. You know, she thought she was, it was okay to say that. But then I got thinking and I thought, why am I letting a complete stranger take my power away? I'm never going to see this woman ever again. So why is it that I, letting this person make me feel ugly? Not once have my kids or my family or my friends ever said, Mom or Kel, I would love you more if you were scarless. Hmm. Not once. And yet I'm letting a stranger make me feel like I'm not beautiful enough. And so I still remember, uh, I remember reading a blog post by Danielle Laporte. Do you know Danielle? Mm -hmm. Yeah, an amazing woman. And she wrote this big blog post about, I give myself permission to, and listed all these things. And one was to love myself. And so I thought, you know what? That's it. I'm done. I'm done feeling like the ugly girl. So I went into the mirror, went into the, my bedroom. I made sure nobody was home, locked the door. I looked in the mirror and I said, I'm done feeling ugly. Because when I would look in the mirror, if I said, I am beautiful, my voice would say, no, you're not. Beautiful women don't have scars on them. You are not beautiful. And so um, I said, you know what? I happen to love my big, beautiful green eyes. And I didn't hear that voice. Because it's true. I believe it. And then I looked at my nose and I turned to the side and, you know, and saw my cute little ski jump nose. And I said, I happen to love my cute little nose. And then I, I looked at my ear and I thought, you know what? I love my cute little ear. It makes me different. It makes me special. It makes me unique. And at one time I was going to get this ear um, taken off and they were going to make me a prosthetic ear. And I thought, why? Just so someone looking at me can think I'm more normal? Like, it's not going to make me hear better. So why am I doing this? Why am I putting myself through this pain and punishment just so someone else can feel better about me? And then I had my favorite jeans on. And this time I turned around and I looked at my butt. And I said, you know what? I happen to love my cute little hot ass. And again, I, was, I didn't hear that negative voice. Because it's true. I believe it. And I wasn't bragging about myself. I was embracing myself. Mm. I was learning to embrace what was beautiful about me. And the next time I looked in the mirror, I saw what was beautiful about me. I didn't see my scars anymore. I saw all the things that were glowing. I saw what other people were seeing. And I just thought, that's it. That's, that's what you got to do. Start, instead of going in the mirror and saying, yuck, go in the mirror and pick out all your little parts that you love. And when you do that, that's when you start embracing yourself. That's when you start loving who you are. But we're so um, conditioned to go into the mirror and pick out everything that's bad about us, everything that's ugly, right? That's what most people do. They'll go in the mirror and they'll just say, oh, 
well, don't judge yourself first thing in the morning, you know, when you've just had 12 hours of sleep. You know, wait until you're up and at them and you're feeling great, you know, and then go look in the mirror. But don't judge yourself so quickly, you know, and pick out the things you love about you. Hmm. So how long ago was that? Oh, geez. I bet that was a, I was in my 40s when I did that. Mm -hmm. Yep. And for you, is it is it a, a ongoing investment in that way of seeing yourself and that way of, of affirming what, what you see? Um, or was there a real kind of switch that flipped then and, and it's it's kind of carried through until now? Well, there's definitely, there was a switch for yeah. sure. Something something but significant changed yeah, it was, that day. Like that day mm -hmm. was very significant for mm -hmm. me. It was the day that I actually gave myself permission to go look in the mirror and say, you know what, I'm cute. Mm -hmm. Right? Or there's day when I have great hair days and I look in the mirror and, you know, and just look at myself and just say, wow, I am beautiful. You know, and, uh, and, and that's, that's the important thing is just like, you know, there's, there's times when I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh, mm. you know, I just don't feel it. Right? There's outside things that are going on in my world that are causing me to feel that way. It's not my internal, it's the outside things that I'm dealing with that, you know, maybe I'm having a, a bad day or bad week you know or maybe i'm struggling financially you know it, it's hard to feel beautiful when you're struggling financially but i know not to judge my beauty when i'm struggling with other issues it's not conflate like the things aren't going well in some area of your life and that that means something about who you really are right and yeah. i don't go and beat myself up because okay i'm having a you know a financial problem so then it's like, okay, go look in the mirror and then all of a sudden I'm beating myself up and, you know, making myself feel worse. I've learned to recognize that, okay, yes, I'm having some challenges in this respect, but that doesn't mean that I'm a complete total loser. Hmm. That just means, okay, what can we do to get through this? What I notice is, you know, uh, of course I haven't been through what you've been through, but um, everything I know about the human condition is that when we experience difficulty, there's at least the opportunity to, to become deeper, to become more, uh, to cultivate wisdom, to have something that, that actually becomes an offering of, of a gift to the people around us. So I'm wondering if you could say a little bit about, um, you know, what's been hard for you uh, outside of what you've already shared about and how that's helped you be be more of a gift to the world and the people in your life right so when i was younger i would always judge myself on my looks and when i was older and when i decided to become a speaker and you know really got more into the personal development field and you know digging deep because that is what it's all about is digging deep and that happened about nine ten years ago when i first decided to be a speaker and so what I realized is that there's no bottle that's going to make you confident, right? Like my, my, first, my second book is called Self-Esteem Doesn't Come in a Bottle. So there's no bottle of something, whether it's anti-aging, whether it's makeup, whether it's foundation, whether whatever it is, none of that is going to give you the, the confidence or the self-love. It's going to give you some temporary fix, but it's not going to give you that deeper fix. And so I always had to figure out what is it? Why is it that when people look at me, they'll say to me, you know what, Kel, 
after looking at you for five minutes, I don't see your scars anymore. I'm like, how can that be? Because they are still physically there. They haven't disappeared. But for some reason, the person looking at me thinks they've disappeared. So I was like, what is that? Right? And so I realized that people are seeing my energy. They're seeing my spirit. They're seeing my big green eyes. They're seeing my smile. They're seeing my sense of humor. They're, they're digging deep. Right? And so that was when I realized that beauty is so much more right, than just what you look like. Mm -hmm. Because if all these people are calling me beautiful and I'm covered in scars and that's not what the real world says is a beautiful person, there's got to be something deeper. And so, you know, I figured out that it's um, some of the things I was doing to myself. So I would walk into a room when I wasn't confident and I would compare myself to every other woman in the room. And I'd be, well, I'm not as beautiful as them. And I'd pick out the most beautiful woman in the world and in the room and I'd be like, oh, I wish I was beautiful like her. And look, she's got all the guys, all the men are surrounding her. They all want to talk to her, you know, and look at how everybody's looking at her. And so I realized that I was comparing myself. And so that's one of my secrets to self-love is to quit comparing yourself to everybody. Because the more you compare yourself, the more you drop yourself down. Right. Uh, the other thing was, is quit worrying about what everybody's thinking of you. So I actually, when I speak to teenagers, I actually prove that you can't know what other people are thinking or that what they're thinking is wrong. Because that was something that I was noticing too, was I was always assuming that every time someone was looking at me, they were thinking I was ugly. And so what happened is Paul, that was my grad date, him and I... Um, we went out to the bar one day and, and uh, I asked him to walk me back to my car and he said, sure, of course. So we're walking and we noticed this guy walking towards us. And I said, oh, I'm so tired of people staring at me. And he goes, Kel, he's staring at you because you're so darn cute. And I'm like, oh, Paul, right? Like, but it was like, th that's the truth. Like, I don't know what he's really thinking, but yet I was making the assumption that every time that somebody looks at me, they're thinking I'm ugly. And I realize, well, I don't think that way, right? Like if I see someone that's overweight, I don't automatically think, oh my God, they're so ugly. Look how fat they are. I, I will think, oh my God, like, yes, they have a weight problem, but oh my God, like, look at the incredible smile they have. So I had to think that it's not just about me, right? Like if I'm thinking that way, other people could be thinking that I'm beautiful or that I'm pretty or I'm cute or whatever. Why am I so hard on myself and assuming everybody's thinking the worst? Mm. Yeah, it's like giving, giving life and people a chance to be something other than the old story we have about it. And in a way, there's, there's courage there because yeah, I, I realized a long time ago that as much as the things that are maybe what we would call negative in our life are are hard to be with mm -hmm. they act as a kind of familiar reference point and if we're going to let those things go uh, there's something scary about that and so we can easily get stuck where we we have this way of being and thinking that's not nice but it's familiar right and and to have a different kind of life means letting go it, i liken it to the the metaphor of you know we're we're a ship and we're tethered to the shore, 
and we know we want to go out there and, and sail the ocean, but to do that, we have to lose sight of the shore. Right. And um, so do you have a sense of what inspired and enabled you to do that, whereas some other people aren't able to do that? Like what had you cut that tether and, and set out and lose sight of the shore and, and create a different life for yourself? Well, it's work. Mm. And, and that's what it is. There is no bottle, right? There's no pill that is going to, that you can take that says, okay, now I'm beautiful and I feel it and that's the way I'm going to feel for the rest of my life. There is no pill for that. It takes work. So it takes recognizing when I'm looking in the mirror and saying, yuck. To like, hold it, hang on. No, let's switch the dial. Okay, let's go back to what we need to be thinking about. Right? And so it's just being super conscious of what your thoughts are and realizing that we can control our thoughts. And so it's very easy to go look in the mirror and say, yuck. And, and it's easier, in fact, to look in the mirror and say, yuck, versus saying good, positive things about yourself. Right? So I just have to recognize that that's the thoughts I'm having and it's up to me whether I want to change them or not. Mm. Growing up, were there people in your life that helped you with a uh, just a, a, a more open, a broader perspective on what what this particular difficulty for you meant or what, what you could do with it? Like, were, Did you have any role models or people that really stuck out for you as, wow, that really helped me see it differently? I think I had a couple of teachers that really you know, stuck out for me. Like I remember one teacher um, in high school and, you know, she really helped me to understand that um, I didn't have to be worried. I was really worried that I was going to join some cult. And I was in this period where I was reading all these books about cults and what they were. And, and I was like, I, I went to her and I'm like, I don't know about this. Like, and she's like, Kel, you're a pretty strong woman. There, there's no way they're going to come and snatch you up and you know, take you away and make you join this cult. So, um, but, you know, I suffered in silence. My family didn't know that I was being teased or bullied. My sister didn't even know, who was two years younger than me. She had no idea that my scars bothered me. And it wasn't until she saw some videos of me speaking. And she's like, oh my God, I didn't know that your scars bothered you. Right? Because my family had learned to tune it out. Like I was, like my um, accident was that taboo subject because there was so much guilt and shame around it that my family didn't want to talk about it. They just wanted to forget it and ignore it, even though I was going for surgeries all the time. Um, so nobody talked about me getting burnt. And so they, they didn't have any idea. Um, and I still remember, this, this story actually gets me kind of choked up. Um, I remember being in high school and my aunt and my mom were talking and, you know, it was a Saturday and, and you know, my, my aunt and my mom, they, they had these amazing conversations. But my aunt said to me, you know, Kel, it's okay that you don't have any boobs. And because I, my scars were so tight that I didn't grow boobs when I was a kid. And, um, and she said, you know, like, the boys want girls of all kinds, right? Like it's, and then my mom said... You know, Kel, it's okay if you have a boyfriend. And I said, but mom, the boys don't want me. And I took off and went to my bedroom and started crying. 
right? Because when you're in high school, that's what you want, right? You want to be loved and, and you want your first kiss and, and all that sort of thing, right? Um, I still remember too, one time, my mom, um, I was invited to go to a party. And basically, it was a mercy date. It was my best friend's brother that was going to take me to this party. And so I said to my mom, can you do my makeup? Because I didn't wear much makeup. And I said, but mom, can you actually like cover my scars? And she said, okay. And so she spent probably an hour, you know, using makeup to cover my scars and everything. And her last words to me were, um, I, this is the best I can do. And I was devastated because I could still see some of the scars sewing. <clears throat> and I'm like, it's okay, mom, you did the best you could. So I go to the party. And the party, there was a couple guys there that had, they were just smoking drugs and stuff. And so me and the guy that was supposed to be my date and his, you know, best friend and her, his girlfriend, they're talking and they're talking about going to a different party because this one was boring and stuff. And so he says to me, well, Kelly, you just want to go home, right? Meaning he didn't want to take me to that party because he would be too embarrassed to show up with me. Mm. So he dropped me off at home. And my mom says to me, um, why are you home so early? Right? It was like 10 o'clock or something. And I said, well, there was drugs at the party, mom, so I didn't want to stay there. And she's like, oh, awesome. My daughter can stand up to drugs. Right? Meanwhile, I mean, every party I went to had drugs at it. So it wasn't that. Mm -hmm. And so I went, you know, back to my room and, you know, started to cry because it was because I thought it was a complete waste of time to get all made up for nothing. Mm -hmm. And that it didn't matter whether my scars were covered or not, the boys weren't going to like me. Yeah, it's, it's, I know it's challenging uh, when we have these beliefs about ourselves, and, and everyone has this, um, when we can look back and find the evidence that supports our story. You know, you have these yeah. experiences that, that reinforce the story you have. And so then, in a way, and faith is the wrong word, but, but you need something to believe in before the evidence is there. And, and, and I really believe that, that what you can believe in without the evidence can still be real. It's like that the, the beauty is there that it, it might not be the beauty that everyone else out there is looking for, or at least some of the people out there are looking for, but that it is there. And as soon as we start believing in it, we are rewriting our story. And uh, that was, that's kind of the courage that I was talking about. What also comes up for me is, as you're sharing the story, it's like, I'm listening for the, the motivations for other people's behavior around you. Okay. What, what I mean by that is that if you have something that's been painful for you and that that something is, is visible to me, right. in a way, if, I'm, if I remain open, I share in that pain with you. Right. For me, this is why children make fun of each other. Right. If a child sees someone with burns or you know, some kind of skin disorder or maybe they're losing their hair, like whatever, it doesn't even matter. Kids mm -hmm. will find anything they can about each other to make fun of each other. 
but that the motive of that kind of bullying behavior is actually that something is going on over there that's hard, that's uncomfortable, that's painful, and we're naturally empathetic creatures. Right. And so these children are feeling some of the pain of the other and they don't like it. For whatever reason, they weren't taught how to have that pain and still remain compassionate. And so then they mistreat, dehumanize, because it gets them off the hook in some way of the pain that's there to just be with someone that, right. that's had something difficult to, right. li to live with. So, you know, I, I'm just sort of stating that because I think it's so important on both sides of, of your equation, but anyone else that's living with, with difficulty is that um, that negativity coming towards us really isn't about us. It's about their relationship with discomfort and pain. Um, I, I guess I'm curious about, like you have two or three children? Three children. I have three. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So uh, tell me a little bit about what it's been like to have kids and, and uh, you know, how have they been with it? What kinds of conversations do you have with them? How has your challenges supported them in having maybe more perspective than other kids right. their age? Well, so I didn't think I'd ever be able to even have a baby, right? And it wasn't until I met a friend of mine, Cindy Rutter, and she's a burn survivor, and she said to me, what do you mean you don't think you can have babies? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know any burn survivors that have babies, right? And she's like, well, no, of course you can. I have babies. And I said, she says, I have two daughters. And I said, oh, cool. I said, did you ever wonder what you would look like without scars? And she's like, yeah. And I said, does your daughter look like you? And she goes, yeah, she does. And I said, oh, that's so cool. You know what you would look like. And she goes, yeah, I, I do, right? So um, I did end up having a daughter, and I was so excited to have a daughter first because I thought maybe then I'll know what I look like without scars, right? And um, so then I got pregnant a second time. And this time I actually lost her. At 28 weeks, I lost the baby. And that was probably the most devastating thing that could ever happen to me um, because my ex didn't want another baby. And so when I was five months pregnant, I remember looking down at my belly and I said, it's okay if you don't make it because he doesn't want you. <clears throat> and I was devastated when two months later, I went to the doctor and sure enough, she had, she had died in me. And so I still had to deliver her and it was like, okay, where's, where's the gift in this? Like, at first, I was blaming myself. It was like my fault. She was in me. What did I do? I was so excited that, well, not excited. I was really happy that the doctor wanted to do an autopsy on her so I could find out what did I do. And we found out that her umbilical cord grew shut instead of growing open. And so then I stopped beating myself up, and I realized, okay, it wasn't my fault. And I said, but there, eventually I said, there has to be a gift. So anyways, I got pregnant a third time. And this time I had twin boys. I know. And that was when I was like, I get it. She gave up her life so that I could bring these two twin boys into the world. And so my daughter's 20 now. And my twin boys are 16. And so I've asked them. I've asked them a few times, like, like, because people ask me, what do your kids think? Like, do they get asked? And I think, like, their friends have asked them a few times. But it's never been a bad thing. Um, other than my daughter's best friend at the time, I think she was only about eight or no, she was about 12, I think. And her best friend called me ugly. 
And um, her mom was really upset because she actually went to high school with me. <laughs> so she kind of knew about the teasing and the bullying that I had been through. So she was really ticked off with her daughter for calling me ugly. And so she made her daughter write a letter and apologize to me and, and all that. So that was, that was okay. Um, now that I'm a single mom, I think what's really cool is that my kids, you know, they see me struggle, you know, because I am single and I don't have another man to support me. And, and so they see, you know, me struggle. They, but they've seen me do some beautiful things. You know, they've seen me become an artist. They've seen me start up the Blankets for Burn Kids charity and they got to be a part of that and they got to help raise the money and, and they got to help give out blankets at summer camp. Um, when we did my documentary, we did a big skydiving fundraiser and they got to all skydive. And uh, so they've seen me accomplish something as a single mom. You know, my daughter got to go with, to Africa with me where we went and we went to the hospitals and we saw the burn survivors and we went to the firefighters and we went to some of the slums and the school. And she was just fascinated because, you know, just like you see in a World Vision commercial where you see the women carrying the buckets of water on their head and the, the, the hand pumps and everything and, and the, the, the walls, you know, the mud walls and kids following us. And it was just like we were right in that World Vision commercial. And she's like, Mom, like, this is, this is crazy. Like, like, this is real. You know, this really does happen. Mm -hmm. And she's like, why are they so, like, um, like, like how, why are they so excited about us? Like, why are they, like, what is this? And she says, I just don't understand this. Like, why they've got us on this pedestal and they're, like, following us and all this. And I said, well, at the time, Justin Bieber was her favorite boy band you know singer and I said okay what if you could hang out with Justin Bieber and be in the limo with him be backstage when he's singing, you know and give him water because they would like bring me water and everything and I said would you like that she goes oh I would love it I said well we're Justin Bieber and she's like what I don't understand I said well Alex some of these kids are so poor they will never be this close to a white person so we are like good luck to them. We are like hope. And uh, then she finally got it. And it was, it was such a cool experience. So, you know, you asked the question about the gifts of me getting burnt. And those are some of them. Those are just some of my gifts. Like if I never got burnt, <clears throat> I wouldn't be able to experience this with my daughter. I wouldn't be able to go and, and you know, teach young girls in Africa, in the slum, um, about self-esteem. They're using my book to teach teenagers about self-esteem. I mean, how cool is that? Yeah, and, and that possibility isn't possible unless you look past maybe what society's story of you is, at least the initial one. Absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of times we, we spend so much time living in our past mm -hmm. instead of seeing what our future is. And I still remember in school, and, you know, when I was being teased or bullied and I'd be the one sitting underneath the tree and I'd be fantasizing what my life was going to look like, you know, and I would have that beautiful husband and wear that, that dress or I would have all that. I would have that beautiful life. And so that's what I would do is I would just fantasize what my future was going to look like instead of worrying about what everybody was saying about me. 
I also believe too that being half deaf helped me because then I didn't hear a lot of the teasing and the bullying. Mm. Right? I didn't, I, and I believe that that was a gift. It was not being able to hear a lot of it. So I didn't tune into it. Um, you know, I learned how to ignore people, you know, talking about me. Do you have a sense of what what's to come for you? You know, are you working on anything in particular right now or any bigger visions for, for what you want to do with your life? Well, we just launched my documentary, mm. Still Beautiful, which is my life story. And they actually even recreated my accident of me getting burnt. They had like three different versions of me. And... Um, so they recreated that whole thing and I, I actually did two TEDx talks this past year. And so um, with the documentary, we also launched the Still Beautiful book that went with it. And so um, I'm working with a publishing company right now and some marketers that we're going to um, do some, what are we going to do? <laughs> we're going to be doing some foreign right translation with my book and the documentary and taking that outside of Canada because, you know, we 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 launched it in Canada and did very well but now we want to spread the message even further so I don't exactly know what my future is going to look like I'm not one of these ones that is like a complete planner like I have to do this I have to do this I have to do this I say this is what I would love to do and let's see where it goes uh, one of the things like I was telling you earlier is um, I definitely want to do some sort of a speaker tour so, you know, may, maybe that would be with Anthony Robbins or, you know, some other people. I don't know. But definitely that's something that I would love to plan for 2020 or 2021 is some sort of a, you know, a big tour to just get the message out there in a bigger way. Beautiful. And for someone listening that, that might have their own version of, of a, you know, a, a difficulty, um, maybe it feels too much, maybe it feels uh, overwhelming for them what would you say, what, what, what kind of things do you feel like um, maybe you would have benefited from when you were younger uh, to, to, get, to get that perspective that you have now? Well, I think school is such a short period of your life. But because we're into it, we're just so involved in it, we think that that's all there is. And so I would love for people to just realize that school is just a very small part of your life and it's not the way your whole life is going to be and that the kids that you're with that are being that are bullying you or that you're having trouble with they're not going to be in your life anymore and eventually you're going to forgive them right so um and and again it's all about you know quit worrying what everybody's thinking about you like and especially nowadays with social media kids are bombarded 24 hours a day by social media you know at least like when you and I were kids we could just go home from school and if we were being bullied well we were bullied during school hours but at home it was like we had a whole separate life right and so we didn't have to worry about it but now kids nowadays it's even more important than ever to turn off their phones disengage from social media quit getting involved in everybody's drama you know, my son missed one of his classes at school just because he was worried about his friend, right? And while that there is a place for that, a lot of times kids are just making up drama because they want to fit in. So it's all about, like, quit 
stop the drama, mm-hmm. right? And realize that it's not your problem, right? Be involved in your own problems, but don't get involved in everybody else's problems. Mm. So, yeah, easier said than done, but oh, absolutely, but it's, <laughs> it's good. I, I, I think to myself, uh, that idea of you know, school is this short-term piece and that there's there's some more out there but if the more out there if your your outlook isn't positive then that that isn't always a help um and we tend to want to paint the future with our past right. especially when we're in dark places we 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 go oh it's just going to be like this forever and so um i'm wondering and this is part of what the podcast was about it's called conversations for change can you remember, I know you mentioned a couple of teachers that were there in your life, uh, but were there any other conversations you had that were uh, sort of trajectory changing for you? Did, 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 it, did you sit down with anyone or have a conversation with anyone and something they said or did in that conversation had you go, oh, you know, like now it can be different? I'm just wondering if you sure, have Sure, I would love to share a story about when I was um, going through my divorce. Mm. So at just before that, my ex had been laid off from his job. And so he told me, it's time for you to te- step up to the plate. Now the twins were just starting kindergarten. So I said, okay, watch me. So I got a job. And, um, you know, working downtown, like in three days, I was working. So anyways, I had worked there for a couple of years. And in the meantime, I had also started um, to be a speaker, right? And so I was doing okay with that. And I was developing my website and my content and hiring a speaker coach. And I was getting a few speaking gigs here and there. And um, then I made a decision. It was our 24th year together. And it was our anniversary. And, you know, we went to bed and I waited till he was sleeping. And I went into the bathroom and I just started bawling my eyes out. And I said to myself, you've done 24 years like this. You're only 44. Can you do another 24? And I said, no way. Help me. Little did I know that that was, you know, my God, my higher power that I was talking to. And um, I I got up and I, I was fine after that. So what happened is that um, then things started to fall into place. And my aunt said, Kel, if you need a place to stay, you've got one. I was like, what the heck is going on? Right? But I forgot that I had asked the universe, I need a cheap place to live because I'm going to be a single mom. And I knew that I couldn't kick him out. And he said to me, the only way you can leave the marriage is if you give me the house and the kids. And I said, okay. And I think he was trying to scare me. That's why I think he said that. But I just said, okay, fine. I'll give you the house and the kids. So I uh, moved in with my aunt and uncle. And uh, the kids would come stay with me every second day. And I went, to, I went to the house every day at 5.30 every morning when he would go to work. And I would get them off to school. I'd be there for when they got home. So I was there all the time. Now, meantime, I still had my full-time job along with being a speaker. So then what happened was about four months later, I get called into work. And my boss says to me, Kel, this is the worst performance review you've ever had. And I have to wonder why. I don't understand. 
Like you are an amazing woman. And she said, and you have to wonder why all of a sudden you're making all these mistakes. And it makes me wonder, are you sabotaging yourself some way unconsciously? And she knew that I was already speaking. She knew I had finished my book. I was on to my second book and I wanted to launch it and make it a best-selling book. And so she said, Cal, I need you to ask one question. And I said, okay. Are you going to be excited to come to work on Monday? Or are you going to be relieved if you don't have to? I was like, oh, that question just hit me right in my chest. Because I knew, right? I knew I needed, wanted to be a speaker full time. But I was like, I, I just left my marriage four months ago. And now I'm going to lose my job. And so I went home. And of course, I'm upset. And I, I got this um, Canadian businesswoman magazine. And it's a Christian magazine. And I'm reading it. And I'm opening, every second page says, follow your passion. And then I flip the pages again, follow your passion full time. And then another page, follow your passion full time. It was the only words I'd be able to see. And then I opened up to the center and in big black, black letters it says, why do you not trust that God will provide you everything you need? And I slammed it shut. I was so mad. <laughs> I was like, I know, I know you want me to be a speaker, but... Just give me three more months. My bills will all be paid. I can do this. And I, and I thought, I just, like, just left my marriage. Like, how am I going to do this? And I asked myself that question again. Are you going to be excited to come to work on Monday or relieved if you don't have to? And I was like, oh. So I went in to work the next day, sent my boss an email. Today, you are right. Today is my last day. And I sent it off to her, packed up my office, and I left. And that was the day that probably the best wisdom I could have ever had. Because as a result, she was like the mama bird pushing the baby bird out of the nest, mm -hmm. you know? And that was the, the analogy that I came up with is like, here she is, she's pushing me out of that nest. And the baby bird never lands on the ground. Baby bird goes down, but always comes back up and it flies, right? And so she, she was very instrumental into pushing me out of that nest so that I would go and be a, a speaker full time. Mm. Do you still have a relationship with her? Yeah, I've thanked her many times, yeah. many times. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just on Facebook and stuff, I would send her messages and said, you know, I want to thank you for what you've done. And, you know, it's all because of you pushing me out of that nest that, you know, I've, I've done all this stuff. Mm. It's interesting because, you know, it's, it's not necessarily going to go well. You know, I think it's like a parent that's having to push their kid out and like, okay, now it's for you to stand up on your own. I know how scary that can be. And, and what I get is that the only way you'll do that is if you are so clear that, that in them is everything that's needed, you know, and, and that's such an empowering experience when someone looks at us and goes, get out of here. Yeah. Like you're, you're able to do much yeah. more than this and it's time. And uh, what a beautiful experience. I know. And she even said that to me. She just said, you know what? She says, sometimes you know what you need to do, but someone else had to make that decision for you. Mm. And she said, what if someone was sitting in front of you 
and they said they had a job they hated and they're making all these mistakes and they're going to work, they're crying, or they have this side thing that they're doing that makes them feel amazing and they're doing incredible at it. So what would you tell them to do? I know, I know. I would tell them to quit their job and do it full time. And she said, yeah. Yeah, and that was what she, how she ended it, right? Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, you're just so right. But yeah, it's cool. I thanked her. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's, yeah, uh, what's the word? Yeah, and it, it's been incredible because, you know, definitely I've had my ups and downs, but, you know, as a result of that, I became the Fierce Woman of the Year. I'm uh, a five-time best-selling author. I got the YWCA Woman of Distinction. Like, all these incredible things happened because I finally said yes to myself mm. and finally said, I'm going to go for it. This is my time. Beautiful. <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you so much for sitting down with me. It's been a sweet experience. Um, I'm sure we'll keep bumping into each other. Uh, for those uh, people that are listening that might want to get in touch with you or uh, kind of get exposed to more of the work you're doing, how do they find you? Definitely they can find me on social media. And um, definitely at kellyfilardo.com, which is hard for everybody to remember. So I actually have a phone number that people can phone too if they want more information. Let me just get it that Yeah, way. sure. Yeah, and I'll make sure that uh, the numbers and uh, okay. web, web addresses and things get linked uh, in the description of the podcast so people will be able to just sort of look at the description and find what they need. But go ahead with the phone number. So the phone number is 1-877-414-1768 and they can text the word INFO to that number and then they can get all the information about me and I even have the uh, my Perseverant Toolkit there so people can download that and get the, the Perseverant Toolkit. Amazing. Yeah. Anything else to complete the, the conversation for you? Well, I just want people to, you know, go and watch the documentary and if you're in Canada, you can go to ami.ca and then forward slash, I think it's still beautiful and uh, yeah, just get in touch with me. Right on. Good. Thanks, Thank Kelly. You. Thank you. Yeah, yeah been awesome yeah definitely you are listening to the conversations for change podcast with dolphin casper